Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary analysis, and funny stuff. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Christine Steimer. Oh, hello. And Miss Brittany Braubacher. Oh, hello. What's good, <laughs> Are you ladies? just copying me? That's going to be my new thing. I'm going to start <laughs> copying how you introduce yourself. Prepare yourself. That's okay. Okay. Well, what if I, like I what if I say your name first? Then what are you going to do? Then, then I'm going to copy her. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. See, we got to work you around. You guys just have it all figured out, don't you? <laughs> I feel like well, I haven't seen you, ladies, in forever. Uh, in like <laughs> several hours. <laughs> She's making a goof because we literally saw each other less than 24 hours ago when they were here in San Francisco. Because we are recording the show quite early this week because. Brittany and I are attending the Mortal Kombat 11 reveal event in Los Angeles. By the time the podcast is out, we will have played Mortal Kombat. So hopefully you guys checked out our Instagram and our Twitter because we will be posting there or have posted there. And then, of course, we'll be talking about what we played on the show next week in addition to some other games because, man, oh, man, there are five and now a sixth preview event added uh, in these in this three week span between <laughs> um, the middle of January and the beginning of February, because so many games are now coming out in February and March, and of course Mortal Kombat coming out in April. But are you excited, Brit? I, I am you're not a giant fighting game person. I'm not, but I've always been intrigued by Mortal Kombat because I admittedly love all the gore and like the ridiculous kills. And I ever since I've been starting to play Smash more, I'm kind of getting the itch to. To play something like Mortal Kombat, especially since I can put it on baby ass baby mode and just kind of, I'm assuming I can anyway. I'm assuming. Uh, when you're playing solo, yeah. And that's I what mean, I would you can, do. You can take your sweet time with it for sure. Good. I just want to knock some heads off and punch people in the vaginas. If, well, I guess we're yeah. going to have to maybe play together at some point then. Okay, but you can't get mad and you can't get fr- Actually, you won't get mad because you'll kick my ass. You'll be happy. Yeah, I was going to say, she'll be fine because she'll be winning. <laughs> you know what, though? That's what I thought when I played with John when Mortal Kombat 10 came out. And he was surprisingly good. And it was not good for me because I was anticipating <laughs> whomping on him. And then he came in and kind of crushed me. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And you're like, this is not allowed. Yeah, I got mad. Compromise in this marriage. Come on, you're supposed to dumb it down a little bit at least. Yeah, I'm like, can you just throw the match for me? You know the, how much it means to me. Just just, <laughs> just give me this, just damn let it. let me win. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. So, of course, what that means, is because we're recording the show early, is that there's not going to be a ton of new news items that happened this week. A lot of the news that we're discussing is stuff that happened over the weekend uh, from the previous week, and we apologize for that. But hopefully you'll forgive us because we'll be back next week with lots of more current events from the world of video games. We have some 
cool things that are happening. So first off, for all of our patrons at patreon.com slash what's good games, we've got a brand new secret segment for you guys for if you are in the secret segment tier where we talk about our fitness goals and resolutions and kind of our fitness experiences because it's such a big topic in January, everybody wanting to get in better shape for the new year. So if you guys are interested in hearing about uh, what we're doing to stay fit and what we had done in the past and some of the weirdest workouts that we've tried, you can check that out, of course, at patreon.com slash what's good games. And we also had a stream and I want to give a big thank you to everybody who stopped by and said hello during the happy hour Q&A or if you watched Steimer and I set things on fire and overcooked too. Oh my god. Including your friendship. But that's fine. Oh no. <laughs> temporarily. <laughs> Just temporarily. It was fine after that. Yeah. Um, going back to the fitness thing real quick. I last night after some tequila and I say last night meaning Sunday night when I was still in San Francisco with Steimer and Andrea. Samara was like in her onesie. She had a few tequilas too. She's like, hey, come on, hey. get down there. She's like, you did. You're like, oh, sorry. No, she did not. She just had adult flavored water. Damn it, Brittany. Why are you going to wrap me out like that? Sorry, I Good forgot Lord. you're doing this bullshit. I support you in all your endeavors. Okay. Um, Samara was like, get on the ground. She was like, do a push up for me. And I was like, okay. And so, like, me and my like weak ass who hasn't done a push up in I don't know how long did one single push up. And my right bicep is fucking sore today. No, come on. Really? I don't know. Yes. I, I, I would like to tell my it's just my right one. So I, I'm trying to justify it and say it's because I slept wrong that I slept on it. It might be because as uh, we said, push-ups are a majority of your core. Like it should be more of a core exercise than an, an arm, arm exercise. exercise. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, that was real bad. So uh, needless <laughs> to say, I have a little fire under my ass now to really kind of get into shape because that's where goddamn ridiculous. After the ba- so we also did the baby shark oh no ab challenge that actually did hurt my abs a little bit that's really difficult I had no idea when I was watching it the first time so for people who don't know there's if you just Google baby shark ab challenge it's the baby shark song and there's these gymnasts these like probably really late elementary school or early middle school aged um, female gymnasts like these girls that are all doing this ab workout and just crushing it of course because they're young they're young and they can um and oh so we're like we can do it and no we we did not successfully do the entire work we did a little bit of each one but man the dad the the daddy shark Shark. one was the hardest i think Mm -hmm. it was like a full full pike yeah mountain climbers are the devil there there is a video of this will it ever see the light of day i don't know probably not probably not it shouldn't (laughs) Maybe the very end, as we discussed, could be okay. I want to do over where I'm not wearing high waisted jeans, and then maybe <laughs> we can. We we'll can all work. We should all individually do the baby shark ab challenge, and then eventually, when we get back together, we can do it together and see who's the best. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, before we digress any further, I want to say that this episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Stitch Fix, Quip, and Robinhood. And we are going to have a short message here from our sponsors. Of course, Stitch Fix, 
is somebody that we've worked with in the past and we really love Stitch Fix. They're an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and your lifestyle. Just go to stitchfix.com slash what's good. Tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. You'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick items to send right to your door. Then you try them on, pay only for what you love, and return the rest. Easy peasy. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. There's no subscription required, and you can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or get your fix whenever you want. I actually had to slow down my fixes because I was buying too many clothes because <laughs> um, they kept sending me good stuff. It's so great. So Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied toward anything you keep from your shipment, which is awesome. And like we mentioned, you can go to our special website, that's stitchfix.com slash what's good, where you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all of the items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash what's good to get started today for that extra 25% off because you get a discount when you keep all five items. And they have an option when you're sending notes to your stylist every month that I love where you can say, build me a whole outfit from these items. So they'll put like the shoes, pants, a top, maybe a jacket or a couple accessories or a purse or something. They'll make it all match together as like one complete item, which I love. Or you can get them to mix and match things with items you've kept from your previous fixes, which is another great option too. If you're like, hey, I kept these really cool pants for my last fix. I need a new top to go with them. I love how you can customize each of your boxes. So one more time, stitchfix.com slash what's good to get started today. Uh, next up is Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy, and it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive, and it's clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. One of the best things about Robinhood and the app is not only do they lay out all of the data from each of the companies that they have on the app so you can read about them and learn about them, but they don't charge any commission fees or other brokerage fees. Other firms can charge up to $10 for every single trade you make, and that can add up quick, but Robinhood doesn't charge any fees. And Sorry, I lost my words there for a second. It happens. Um, their web platform also allows you to view stock collections, like the 100 most popular sectors, like entertainment or social media. Or, of course, you can curate your own categories, like female CEOs. So, like, if you only want to support women-run companies, you know, like What's Good Games. We're not technically a publicly traded company. I don't know why I said technically we're not a publicly traded company <laughs> at all, in any way, shape, or form. Um, but they at Robinhood allow you to set up kind of your custom list like that. So if you want to get started and get your first stock for free, like a stock from Apple, Ford, or Sprint, you go to whatsgood.robinhood.com. So that's whatsgood.robinhood.com to get your free stock and get started trading today. I got my first free stock of Groupon and... Sometimes I obsessively go in and watch the stock price go up and down, even though I only have one single stock. <laughs> <laughs> Something to get Which up for every morning. Healthy. You probably shouldn't do that. But no. <laughs> um, they do have push notifications if you are the person who loves to watch the data and, uh, and loves to watch the numbers. But if you, it drives you a little crazy like it does me, you can, of course, always turn those notifications off. One more time, whatsgood.robinhood.com. All right. Into the news. So 
the biggest story of technically last week, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it because by the time the podcast aired, the story had already broke, but Bungie has split with their publishing partner, Activision, and kept the IP rights to Destiny. So the write-up we have here, I'm not going to read the whole thing because by now I'm sure most of you have already heard about this story and, and, and know what's going on, but Essentially, uh, Jason Schreier sums it up over on Kotaku and says, The Bungie and Activision are splitting. Uh, the development comes after years of tension between the two companies. Employees cheered and popped champagne, according to one person who was there. Amazing. Which is, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, we have enjoyed a successful eight-year run and would like to thank Activision for their partnership on Destiny, said Bungie in a blog post. Looking ahead, we're excited to announce plans for Activision to transfer publishing rights for Destiny to Bungie. With our remarkable Destiny community, we are ready to push, excuse me, publish on our own, while Activision will increase their focus on owned or uh, on owned IP projects. So, in case you don't remember, Destiny, of course, launched back in September of 2014, and their partnership began in 2010. So, we're about to hit that 10-year window, because when Activision first announced that they were working with Bungie on this new IP, they kind of said that they had this long-term roadmap that they were working on. How that's going to change in the future obviously remains to be seen, Um, but... Another thing to mention from Jason's story, one of the most significant tensions between Bungie and Activision had long been the annualized schedule, which mandated the release of new Destiny game or expansion every autumn. Now separated from Activision, Bungie will no longer be constrained to that schedule, and they said, we'll continue to deliver on the existing Destiny roadmap, and we're looking forward to releasing more seasonal experiences in the coming months, as well as surprising our community with some exciting announcements about what lies beyond. Some additional context for this story, I was looking up some other journalists and what they were writing, and I saw uh, a reporter from the Wall Street Journal mentioned that back in June, when Chinese company NetEase made a $100 million investment in Bungie, that Michael Pachter, the analyst for Wedbush Securities, estimated that the Destiny franchise has earned over $1.6 billion to date. So, of course, mm-hmm. that number is unofficial, but Mr. Pactor is pretty good at this. He's been doing it for a while. So I have to imagine it's somewhere in that ballpark. But I heard that number and I was like, dang. Did you shit bricks? I didn't shit bricks because I knew that Destiny is the most successful IP of this generation. New IP, I should say, of this generation. So I wasn't surprised at that number. Obviously, I've given Destiny plenty of money over the years. Um, (laughs) But I heard that number, and the first thing I thought was, wow, I wonder what happened that Activision wanted to let Destiny go. Or that – sorry, it's doing the thing where it echoes back on your ear. (laughs) Oh, sorry. The speech jammer thing is really fun. Uh I think it's more of like how much Bungie wanted to get away. Like, I wonder what they had to pay out in order to get it back. Mm. You think that they had to give money to Activision to retain their IP or considering they had think- two more years on their contract. Yes. Well, I, I just said, I guess I would have just assumed that they would have had to continue giving them a percentage or something. Profits. There's got to be. There was some Maybe money both? exchange chance to get out of this early. Is all I'm saying. I don't know how they broke it down, but uh, 
traditionally, I don't think you would just be like, well, we're both going to separate and walk, you know, go our separate ways because we're good guys, especially with Activision for good guys. <laughs> like, I, I mean, yeah, like I know exactly just, what you're saying. Just because Activision or Bungie wants to leave or whatever doesn't mean that Activision would let them and legally they didn't have to. So, like, there was definitely something that had to had to go down there to make it okay for Activision to Yeah, and both sides go. handled this very well. You know, you don't get any sense of bad blood or animosity between Activision and Bungie. And I thought that was really good. Generally, when stories like this break, when you have a contract being broken, it's usually... They suck. They did this. This happened. It was a really terrible, awful relationship. But it sounds like this had each party put out a very pleasant statement. So that can also be written into contracts. Just saying. Well, either way, it looks not saying it was just saying. (laughs) No, she's not wrong. Yeah. 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 So I guess I was surprised by this. I obviously don't follow the relationship between Bungie and Activision probably as well as you do, Andrea. But it sounds like a lot of people were not surprised to see this happen. And they're like, yeah, we saw this coming. Did you see this coming? I definitely knew it was in the cards because back in June when the NetEase partnership was announced, so they have a minority stake in Bungie, Pete Parsons, the CEO, said that they were interested in self-publishing. And that clearly means if they're self-publishing, they're not publishing through Activision. At the time, I think what I thought was, oh, they're going to have a new IP that they publish either on their own or with somebody else. And they're going to keep Destiny with Activision because Activision clearly has a vested financial interest in holding on to that IP. But I did not anticipate this coming. Really, it feels like almost out of the blue. Like, why at this time? Why now? Like, what was the reason that it happened in the way that it did i think that'll probably go unknown to the public probably indefinitely but i think it's good i think the big takeaway here is that now every decision that's made with destiny for good or for worse is now squarely on Bungie's shoulders because the community pointed the finger at at activision a lot for a lot of the decisions that were made with destiny and it's hard to know how much influence Bungie had in regards to some of the more controversial decisions around microtransactions, loot boxes, DLC schedules, et cetera, et cetera. But now, no, they don't have anybody else to point the finger at. So I think the pressure is on them to make their community happy. And their community is tough, is, is, is hard. I mean, obviously their diehard community loves them, but the vast majority of Destiny players, like 90% of Destiny players, are casual players. And they really need to retain those people in order to keep them coming back and keep spending. And they've done so, they've done well so far with Forsaken, but hopefully they can keep it up. So do you think with... Oh, a speech jammer happening. So do you think with um, Bungie having all now their whole... Their, the ability to do what they want with Destiny, do you think they're going to cater it more toward the hardcore players and kind of keep it down that route and not necessarily omit the casual players because something I thought I was reading unless I had it backwards were that players were all excited because they're thinking woohoo now Destiny can focus on catering to us hardcore Destiny players instead of trying to put in content for the casual folks didn't they already say that they had shifted gears that way I think it was last year I want to say that they were like Mm -hmm. no we're gonna just basically cater to those who are currently playing Destiny and not forgetting about people who aren't, but like not really doing as much for them. 
Yeah, so they are clearly catering to a more hardcore audience right now because those are the people that play daily and weekly. I hope that they can find like a Goldilocks happy medium where they have content that clearly caters to the full-time Destiny streamers, full-time Destiny YouTube content creators, people who pop in and do the daily missions with their clans all the time. They clearly need to cater to those people because that's where their whales are, right? People who spend a ton of money on in-game microtransactions and things like that. But they can't ignore the casual Destiny players because that's what funds the development of the game. You can't fund development with a small subset of your players. And they've built an amazing world. They have over 10 million registered Destiny 2 players around the world. That's huge. And I would hate to see them alienate large swaths of those players because they want to cater to a small audience but it's hard you know you can't please everybody especially in a games as service they're figuring out what works what doesn't you know with this most recent um season of the forge i think that they have a lot of lessons learned about maybe overcorrecting and making certain items too difficult for the mass audience because if you're going to charge people for content you have to make it accessible. <laughs> you know, it's not like it, that's why I think a lot of people always point the finger to success stories like Fortnite because they alleviated a lot of those concerns by just making the game free, right? They're like, hey, the base game and the gameplay is going to be free. And if you want to buy the season pass, it's going to get you all this cosmetic stuff and progression rewards. But everybody will always be able to jump into the same map together. I think that's a model that more developers are going to explore because it does make your audience pool as big as possible but Mm. are they gonna are they gonna you know do that probably not who knows bungie is bungie (laughs) bungie will bungie (laughs) um speaking of activision there is a follow-up here that Brittany you dropped in the doc that says law firm pomerantz llp investigating activision blizzard employees for security fraud So I actually don't know much about this story. So this comes from PlayStationLifestyle.net. And it reads, days after Activision Blizzard and Bungie announced the end of their partnership, the publishing giant is under investigation for securities fraud and unlawful business practices. In a press release, law firm Pomerantz LLP said it it is conducting the investigation on behalf of Activision Blizzard's investors. The aforementioned claims were triggered by the company's stock plummeting as a result of the surprise announcement. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. (laughs) Uh, On January 11th, 2019, the company disclosed that it would be separating from its design and development partner Bungie and that Bungie would assume full publishing rights and responsibilities for the Destiny franchise. In the first five days of the Destiny franchise's release, it sold $325 million at retail. Following this announcement, Activision's stock price sharply fell during intraday trading on January 11th. Let me uh, skip ahead here and say that Activision Blizzard recently fired its chief financial officer after it emerged that he had accepted a job offer on Netflix while he was still with the company, which is against the terms of his employment. Shortly afterward, Blizzard CFO Amrita Ahuya? Uh, Yeah. Ahuja, I'm so sorry, Amrita, I don't know how to say your name, uh, announced her departure. It also recently emerged that Blizzard's co-founder, Michael Morheim, will be leaving the company for good in April 2019. So we oh, like, already knew that uh, that Morheim was leaving, but now we have like a specific timetable. So, um, yeah, duh, of course, Activision's stock price is going to drop when it's... <laughs> 
<laughs> number two IP is now no longer part of its portfolio. That's, it looks like, yeah, investors know? are worried that certain officers and or directors engaged in unlawful practices. But row. yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. This story just broke today. So Monday. So we'll see how this ends up. Just not a good situation overall. No. Well, you know, I mean, you never really can... want to be under investigation for fraud, <laughs> any kind of fraud. It's not great. Yeah. Agreed. But if anybody can weather this storm, it's actually oh, they've got so much money. They're fine. They're fine. I was Scrooge mostly surprised that Bungie didn't finish out the contract because they were only a couple years away from it being technically done. I wonder um, who initiated the conversation. I would have to imagine it was Bungie. I don't Activision was not going to just offer this up when the, but when Destiny is that profitable. Right? Like why would you be like, "Yes, be free, my workhorse?" No. <laughs> I'm gonna keep you there as long as possible and keep proper, profiting off of you. Um but was Activision happy with Destiny sales? Cuz I thought I had read a report where an article or late last year where they're saying they were not happy with the way it was sailing. I'm looking for this article. They are. Yes. So they weren't happy with the way that it had been declining since the, uh, release of destiny Two. over the last 18 months. The, obviously the profitability has gone down substantially as it does with any game. And if, if a game as a service is going to keep profitability at a steady level, they have to be very consistent. And the first two expansions for destiny two were crap. I'm confident in saying that I played them. They were a solid. Okay. If not full on crap. (laughs) Those are two very different things to me. Uh, Full on. Okay. And solid crap. Or like, the reason I say that is because part of it was crap and part of it was okay. Got it. Like certain sections of each of the DLCs were like, eh, this is fine. And other parts were like, wow, this sucks. Um, I kind of wonder if their deal then was like, pretty much crap all around oh here we go so november 2018 jason schreier there was a call in activision said some of our other franchises like destiny are not performing as well as we'd like um we have not seen the full core re-engage in destiny which has led to the underperformance against expectations to date and some other stuff like that um obviously so yeah it looks like it's just a couple months ago there was some shenaniganry being said So I wonder if, here's my hypothesis that is based on nothing but these articles that are coming out, is that, so if Activision is like, you know what, you just got, you just got really loud. I don't know what happened. I don't know either. Something's happening with Steimer's microphone. Something is going on. I maybe have a ghost in my house. (laughs) I don't know because the microphone goes up and down. My camera turns on and off. I, I don't know. Am I still really loud? You're, you were peeking just a little bit. Maybe okay. just... I'll, it's our unknown okay. fourth eh, member. Eh, eh, eh. Right. I guess. Exactly. Ghosty ghost, if you could fuck off for a minute, that'd be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that... So Activision's like, you know what? This isn't doing quite what Destiny 1 did. And their Bungie's like, Dodoy, look at the release schedule you're trying to make us do. We can Didoy. only do so much with a release schedule like this. And maybe it was more of like, look, we will keep your profits the same. Like you will make it the same amount of money off of us, but you don't have to front the cost of publishing this game anymore. And then we will take this. And then theoretically, you will still be making a lot of money. 
Just let us have our creative but, freedom back. But, and you won't be caught and it won't be costing you any money. Mm-hmm. Give it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I have no idea if that's but remotely popping what happens, champagne. But, that's incredible. They must have been real excited to get the hell out of there. I mean, yeah. you got to figure there's I'm curious to see what they do this fall. Mm-hmm. Like what was I'm curious. I would love to know what was supposed to happen this fall. Because I think the reason this happened, this breakup happened now, is to get in front of any announcements for fall. So, like, this is well before E3, well before anything where they would have to talk about what's going on with Destiny. Um, and I think that they did that wisely. Get it out of the way the beginning of the year, and then you can kind of talk a little bit more freely. Hmm. Uh, and something that I noted on the streams, uh, but obviously we haven't talked about it on the podcast, is I would be curious to see how Bungie's communication style changes, if it changes at all with this breakup, because um, traditionally working at, working at large publishers, I know the amount of revisions that a lot of things need to go through before you can communicate outward. I wouldn't say necessarily for things like patch notes or anything like that, but for larger communications, uh, it's edited a lot. And I think a lot of those things that you saw ended up rubbing people the wrong way. And that might be due to how many hands it was passed through. Who knows? Uh, So I would be curious to see if they become a little bit more transparent with their community, if they're able to update more frequently um, and uh, hopefully win back a little goodwill. Mm -hmm. Word. On that note, let's put a pin in Bungie and Activision and move on. To a real to, weird story. <laughs> to a real weird story that we contemplated not covering, but it's just a little too big to to not say anything about. So late Friday last week, a story broke about former Gearbox lawyer and how he has accused CEO Randy Pitchford of taking a secret $12 million bonus in a lawsuit that Gearbox has called absurd so over the last couple of days um some new details have rolled in um so this is uh, of course another article from jason schreier over at kotaku uh, and you can read the full rundown over there but uh the former general counsel of game studio gearbox of course known for the borderland series aliens colonial marines and others and ceo randy pitchford are suing one another in a messy legal battle that sees both men accused of violating their legal duties to the company uh, there are lots of sensational allegations in this story, and we're not going to go through all of them. Uh, but the biggest one is that the CEO, Pitchford, received a secret $12 million bonus from publisher Take-Two Interactive as an advance against Borderlands profits. Wade Callender, who served at Gearbox's lawyer from 2010 till 2018, filed a suit on December 21st accusing Pitchford of violating various contracts involving both Gearbox and a separate real estate company that they both owned, as well as Callender's own employment contract. So that's where it starts to get like the waters are clearly a little muddy here. So they had a separate company that was involved along with their dealings at Gearbox. Quote, The allegations made by a disgruntled former employee are absurd with no basis in reality or law. We look forward to addressing this meritless lawsuit in court and have no further comment at this time (laughs) than a Gearbox postperson. So 
not surprising that they called it meritless. We see that a lot when somebody is accused of something really outrageous. Um, Calendar's suit was filed a month after Gearbox sued him in a separate case for fraud and breach of fiduciary duty. So this is where the plot thickens. So a month before Calendar filed his suit, Gearbox had already sued him for fraud. So clearly somebody's upset that they're being sued. Now they're countersuing. I'm mad. Gearbox alleged that Calendar borrowed money from them for a home loan and tuition, which is weird, that he did not pay back <laughs> his full. <weird. laughs> and that Calendar abused the privilege of credit card access by charging unapproved wholly personal expenses, including family vacations, <laughs> gun club memberships, and firearm accessories, even weirder, and trying to get six-pack abs. The weirdest. <laughs> I love that that's part of the official statement, trying to get six-pack abs. That's, how do you even, how do you charge that on a credit card? I'm to trying a personal to get six trainer, pack. maybe? I know, I know, but I'm just like, the way they phrased it was really weird. No gym membership. He's just trying to get six-pack yeah. abs. He's not, yeah. exactly. It's not a trainer. It's not like workout equipment. It's trying it to get six-pack abs. Why does he abs. need six-pack abs? Maybe um, it's plastic surgery, too. Ooh. Oh, maybe it is. So Gearbox accused Calendar of destroying evidence of the home loan agreement he made with the studio, which you can read in the full suit over at Kotaku. Um, according to Calendar's lawsuit, which you can also read uh, that they have there, the, the legal filings, Calendar and Pitchford were longtime friends, backed up by several tweets from from randy so randy has been pretty active on social media since these accusations came out um whose relationship fell apart over the last two years the lawsuit alleges that pitchford struck a deal in 2016 to receive a personal secretive executive bonus of 12 million dollars to be paid directly to pitchford um to an entity called pitchford entertainment media magic llc and that bonus uh calendar and his lawyers argue is an advance upon the royalties that would otherwise go to gearbox's staff so this is really the part of all of this that seems to be the most unsettling to everybody is that this is a giant chunk of money. And if you're getting an advance against royalties, that money should be split um, according to whatever split that they have set up at Gearbox. Randy Pitchford shouldn't be taking this $12 million for himself. So um, how did we arrive at this? How did all of this happen? Well, it started with a USB drive. Oh, that boy. Was left. Oh, my God. At a, ra- a restaurant in Dallas, which we later would find out was a medieval times. Which is which the is, greatest part of this entire story. Which is hilarious. <laughs> On the USB drive was information about sensitive corporate documents for Gearbox and its partners, including 2K Games, Sega, Sony, Microsoft, and others, and a personal collection of underage pornography. Why that was included in this, we're not quite sure. And obviously, that sets off a giant red flag. Underage pornography is very bad. It's one of the worst things you can do. Don't ever look at porn of kids. Is it worth noting that underage is also in quotes? Yes. So, as I continue, several hours after the story was originally published... Um, Ars Technica tracked down a magic podcast, which Pitchford appeared on. Around the same time, a Gearbox post- spokesperson emailed uh, to Kotaku um, in an episode that went live on December 22nd, the day after the lawsuit was filed. Pitchford told his version of the USB stick story for the first time. He admitted that he enjoyed cam girl pornography, in which a woman streams live erotic content, and explained that he saved the video of the cam girl before it was lost. 
Um, he said the reason he kept it was because of something she did on the video, which we're not going to go into here, uh, that he thought was not possibly real. It had to have been a magic trick. So that's why he kept it because of his fascination with magic. And he wanted to figure out how she put, uh, how she achieved this trick. And he said that there was only one video on the stick and that her handle was only 18 and it was under the umbrella of barely legal porn, meaning that she is 18 years or older, but clearly looks like she is underage, but is of age, which is, of course, a well-known part of adult entertainment. I think if you've ever seen porn, you know about barely legal porn. So. The porn stuff aside, because when we talked about it, the three of us, when this, when these allegations were breaking, I was like, oh, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yes, that um, was the reaction. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. Right? First off, the $12 million is like, oh my gosh, that's an incredible amount of money to be, you know, getting paid secretly when it should be going to your company. Like, that's, that's crazy talk. Also, the allegations about the underage pornography, at first... I, I immediately was like, that can't possibly be based in truth. And I don't know for sure, but Randy came forward and, of course, denied all of the allegations and said he would never, that, you know, he clearly has a teenage son and that, you know, that he did admit to looking at the porn and that it was barely legal. And my kind of thought on it, and ladies, if you have something you'd like to add, please let me know, but was that, if it's legal and it's consensual and it's between adults and he was doing it in the privacy of his own home, then who the fuck cares about what his porn habits are? Yeah. I mean, who cares if that's what gets him going and no one's being exploited? This is something that, like you said, two adults are consenting to doing and they're within their legal rights to do it. Who the fuck cares? Don't try to shame someone because of what they enjoy. That's perfectly okay to enjoy. I just think it's weird that it was on a business USB I mean, yeah. Maybe keep those things separate, man. <laughs> before before the password protected USB sticks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, I don't care what you do, but maybe don't put it on a business drive. Yeah. It's like the more the story goes on, the more you clench. Like, it, and then it just gets fucking weirder. Yeah. Yeah. But those ones are the other allegations are way more hearsay, aren't they? I actually don't know. I didn't look too much into them. Yes. So here's what I was. So the next the next allegation um, calendar accused Pitchford of holding parties in which adult men have reportedly exposed themselves to minors to the amusement of Pitchford and a statement sent to Kotaku several hours after the publication of the article. Gearbox denied this, saying that Pitchford and his wife hold a regular variety show that's recorded and that nothing of the sort occurred there. The terminology that the Pitchfords have never used, a spokesperson said, referring to the term peacock parties to which the lawsuit refers was made up by Wade in a further attempt to paint a sensational picture that is demonstrably false. So here's what I will say. I have been invited to the home of Christy and Randy Pitchford more than once. I have been invited to their theatrical parties that is being referred to in this article because they have an actual theatrical stage inside their home where I've seen people perform musical acts. I've seen people perform magical tricks. It's like a, it's like a little mini theater with seating and like a curtain and like in red dead redemption, that tiny ass theater. It's exactly like that. (laughs) Um, It's beautiful. (laughs) And it was really cool. And because they have a lot of very famous magician friends, because man, uh, Randy has been into magic for a very long time. And 
like the idea that anything devious is happening at those parties is absolutely asinine because I've been to their home. I've been to one of these events and it was just a bunch of friends getting together watching somebody perform on stage like you would do in any theater venue around the country or around the world. Um, Obviously, like Wade's allegations are his allegations. And if he saw something that I didn't see, I can't speak for him. I can only speak from my personal experience. And so that's why the this story has been upsetting to me is because I personally know the Pitchfords and like the idea that they would be doing something like this is just so out of the realm of possibility for me. Of course, the $12 million is something that is really the crux of this issue of the story that I have no idea about. Could that be possible? Maybe. Could it be completely made up? That could be true too. It sounds like this guy clearly has an axe to grind and Randy put out an extensive statement after all of this went public and said that he's cleverly using quotation marks and legal language to dance around the fact that he's completely fabricating all of these allegations. So you, of course, you know, as a listener or viewer watching all this thinking, well, who's right? Who's telling the truth? I encourage you, if you're curious, to read the court filings, to read Randy's statement I know a lot of people pointed to David Eddings' tweet, David Eddings being the former voice of Claptrap and formerly of Gearbox Publishing. He worked at Gearbox for quite some time. He had tweeted after everything broke on Friday, yes, it's true. And so people kind of were up in arms. But I think it's worth noting that he put out a second tweet that said – Gosh, I was just looking at this. Um, he put out a second tweet that said, "Liar, check, con man, check, perv, no idea." I'm glad. Obviously, not great that. either. But, but the clarification I think is important. Right? Yeah, it's it's tricky because you know the Pitchfords, and I, a lot of people don't know them. Right? And right to obviously, if you know me as someone who trust knows you very personally and trust your um, judgment of character. When you say you can't imagine the Pitchfords doing this, I'm inclined to believe you, but the people out there who don't know them, or maybe they don't know you as well as, you know, like maybe Simon and I do. It is hard because as someone who's worked in a sexual assault unit, when I used to work for department of corrections, you see that a lot. You see people who live normal day-to-day lives, but then they run this second life that no one ever saw any of this coming, whether it's child pornography, they were serial rapists. It's just that you don't know. And I think you hear about that a lot on the news, you know, and what you see in your daily media is, no, we never knew he was doing this or she was doing this in their, in their free time or whatever you, whatever you want to call it. And this is the kind of allegation that just doesn't leave a person, you know, if he, even if he's proven innocent, and this is all proven just to be someone with an axe to grind. It's not going to leave him behind. People are always going to wonder. And this is something that's going to follow him the rest of his career. And it's just so unfortunate. All of this is just so sad. And it, you don't know what to believe, I guess. Exactly right, Britt. We're not here to say if it's true or if it's not true. We're not here to judge whether what he did is within his rights or without, uh, not in his rights, right? Because we don't know what his agreement with Gearbox and 2K is. We don't know if that 
if if he received this alleged bonus, if it was actually part of his agreement or not, the way that it was paid out to him, and or if it was supposed to go somewhere else, right? We don't know what the video looked like that he had on the USB stick, right? I just wanted to make sure that we talked about it because I think the big takeaway here is the internet lynch mob is a dangerous thing and throwing out allegations and making snap judgments is what destroys people's lives. And I would hope that you out there listening would take some time to process all of the information and go what matters and what doesn't. Does any of this matter to me in my life or does none of it matter to me in my life? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I hope the allegations all turn out to be false. I really do. Because it would be a huge bummer if any part of them turned out to be true. I really (sighs) hope not. But yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Mm -hmm. All right. Happier news. Yeah, there you go. And happier news indeed. Now that we're through with the the deep of, shit, the deep shit exactly. Uh, Sony has finally let PS4 owners play Rocket League against Xbox, Switch, and PC. Crossplay is expanding. So this write-up comes from The Verge. Sony is enabling crossplay support for Rocket League and allows PS4 to play against Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, or Steam PC players. Of course, Sony had previously limited Rocket League crossplay to just PS4 and PC. Uh, developer Cyanix revealed it w- had been waiting on Sony to stop blocking the crossplay. Of course, they were one of the most outspoken advocates for crossplay before the Fortnite crossplay beta began. And they had publicly, you know, called on PlayStation to lift their crossplay restrictions. As mentioned in their story, the policy changed following months of pressure on Sony from both fans of Fortnite and Rocket League. Psionics is enabling crossplay by default, which is important to know if you're a cross or if you're excuse me, if you're a big Rocket League player and you don't want to do crossplay, you have to go in and change your settings. A uh, future update will also allow players to party up across platforms. Players will be able to create private matches to specifically partner up with friends until the update. Otherwise, it's random matchmaking across the four platforms. Sonic thanked fans for continuing to put pressure on Sony to change its mind, saying, quote, it's because of you, our fans, and our generous partners on all systems and services that have made this possible in the first place, says Jeremy Dunham, the VP of Publishing at Psionics. Jeremy Dunham! He hired me at IGN. Dunham, dunham, oh, wow. Dunham. Deep cuts. Yes. So this is exciting. Crossplay is spreading. I think this is good news for publishers who are struggling with their matchmaking communities who need more players in the pool to have more efficient matchmaking times. I think that's really the big win of crossplay. Even though I said on the Kind of Funny Games cast that came out this week... One of my most controversial gaming opinions that I, was, I that I don't think crossplay is going to be relevant. <laughs> oh, well, I think everyone's going to be super excited about it when it goes mainstream, and then it's going to be like, oh, that was a cool thing that we don't actually use very much. <sighs> yeah, I mean, personally, I don't use it, but that's not to say I couldn't. 
I think if it were on other games, I'd be down to use it more. I mean, I think we were just talking about this, I feel like, somewhere. But with all these games of service, you have Anthem coming out, for mm-hmm. example. It's what platform do we play on? You know, and I prefer I would prefer to play on my Xbox One X. I just like that controller a lot better. But I know for other reasons, you want to play on PlayStation 4. So why can't we just do that? You know, and then obviously like Fortnite and Rocket League, I don't play those games. So I appreciate you know, these steps crossplay is getting, but uh, as of right now, it's, it's cool, but it doesn't affect my life. I think for PVE components specifically, it's a really big win for video game players. I think it starts to get a little sticky when it comes to PVP elements, especially highly competitive games, because if you're matchmaking PC players against Nintendo Switch players, oh, there, yeah, you know, get murdered, like get straight murdered. It's not even competitive, but like obviously, I'm sure all of the fanboys on the internet out there listening. Well, Andrea, if you're actually playing competitively, you'd only be playing on PC. <laughs> I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We call that casual competitive. Uh, you can be competitive however you want. That's true. We're not here to tell you how to be competitive. It's yeah. true. I, I just like, I'm still one of those people that like, it, crossplay has never been a make or break feature that I've wanted. Am I excited that it's on the horizon? Sure. Like you said, Britt, it'd be great if we could play Anthem together. I'm playing on my PS4 and you're playing on your Xbox One. That would be awesome. But is my life going to be devastated if we can't? No. Yeah, but I think we also, I mean, we are not the people that this is super relevant for because we have all of the platforms where obviously a lot of people do not. They don't have the ability to do that. So if you are the only one of your friends that picked PS4 this generation, which would be weird, but you know, could happen. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then all of your friends are on Xbox. Like, the fuck? It sucks. Sucks for you. Um, but then if there's things like cross play that eases that a lot. So I think it's much more for people like that versus we are weird anomalies. <laughs> we are not the average gamer. That's true. That is that is definitely it in a nutshell. Well, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch who else is going to kind of be part of the rollout of cross play, who's next down the pipeline. I have to imagine Minecraft is in that queue, right? Mm-hmm. They were the first one that wanted crossplay before Fortnite became a thing. So before it was cool, <laughs> exactly. <gasps> but there's sure I'm sure there's plenty of other games who are like we're ready for crossplay too. I mean, yes. yeah, anything that's multiplayer that's coming out this year, Division would Division be great. would be a great one. Yeah. Yes, agreed. That would be awesome. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, next up in our final story of the news section this week, Super Nintendo games are buried in the Switch Online NES app. So this comes from friend of the show Chris Kohler over at Kotaku. Switch's Online NES Classics app now has titles and descriptions for 22. Pretty is dancing. Uh, you can watch it at youtube.com slash what's good games. Subscribe. 22 Super Nintendo games buried in its code according to data miners who have looked at the program. That's a welcome glimmer of hope for anyone hoping to play Super Mario World on their Switch, but it doesn't necessarily mean those games will show up anytime soon. The arrival of SNES games on Switch would not be itself surprising, of course. Even prior to the launch of Switch, Nintendo had originally said that subscribers to the online service would get one free NES or SNES game per 
per month, not unlike PlayStation Plus or Games with Gold. Eventually, as the service was delayed, that one game a month plan became a much more palatable arrangement, all-you-can-play, steadily growing library of NES games. SNES disappeared from the equation at that point. But the recent news indicates that might not be gone for long. Over the weekend, a hacker by the handle of Cappuccino Heck, who last year hacked the program to inject more game ROMs into the app, posted his findings. Formatted the same way the NES games titles and description is a batch of information from 22 Super NES games. Those games include F-Zero, Kirby's Dreamland 3, Kirby Superstar, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, uh, Star Fox and Star Fox 2, and then a bunch of Super Mario games, All-Stars, Kart, World, World 2, and then we've also got uh, Super Metroid and Super Punch-Out and a couple of others as well. Like Breath of Fire 2? I just skipped that one intentionally so you could talk about it. Although, this is so exciting. This is good. I don't know when this is going to happen. Okay, sorry, there was a little bit more left. I jumped the gun. No, no, you're good. Okay. It's fine. It's just so, a statement from Reggie, Reggie Fizeme saying we have nothing to announce. Surprise. Okay, there we go. This is so exciting. So uh, one of my favorite things to do is call my aunt and talk about Nintendo because she and I and my grandma all kind of started loving Nintendo at the same time. And we have a lot of nostalgia, obviously, for these games, particularly Super Nintendo games. And so she calls me up and we'll talk about like, because she just got a Switch for Christmas and she's all excited. And she's like, so where are the Super Nintendo games? Where's Earthbound? Where's Super Mario World? Where's Breath of Fire? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, let me tell you about Nintendo's online uh, service here. Because she wasn't aware that there's no virtual console and nor will there be a virtual console. Obviously, there's the SNES Classic, which is sold very well, but that's not a portable thing. It's not, you know, the Wii had their shop channel, the Wii U had theirs, the Wii's shop channel is closing down at the end of this month. So it's like, there's no good way to play all these old Super Nintendo games unless you want to get an emulator. But as we've seen, Nintendo is fucking going after those poor people with a gajillion dollar lawsuits. So this is, this needs to happen. And I think this needs to happen sooner rather than later. And I think it's going to be a great way to push people to maybe pull the trigger on a switch finally maybe they have some interest in these mario games these new ones like super mario deluxe 2.0 super senior edition i can't keep track of all of what they call their <laughs> stupid mario games <laughs> but think about it you know being able to now that the 3ds is sunsetting maybe now we can finally get these games that we love so much with us in on the switch and it's gonna be yes, portable please. and the screen is nice and it's big and it's comfortable to hold in your hand and a lot of these were on the SNES Classic, but some of them weren't. And so I, I just makes me excited. I hope we hear something about this soon. Typically, there's a, there's a direct every January, and it's usually one that has a lot of info that makes you all happy and good all, and stuff. But um, yeah, so maybe we'll get a, a direct this month and and they'll announce this. I don't know. I would love to see that. It'd be cool if they dropped them all at once, too. Well, they usually do a big switch, in, or a big switch, a big, direct, me, a big in direct in January, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what so, I was saying. So it would be a good way to kind of kick people in the pants to buy their Nintendo online subscription if they haven't already, like if they're not actively playing Smash or what have you, and to kind of get people invigorated for what they have coming down the pipeline. Because as we've talked about many times on this show, we don't really have a clear roadmap for the dates as to when they're releasing games in 2019. No. And just this this is this is, makes me feel so excited. So excited. So excited. I love me my Super Nintendo games and 
I think isn't Earthbound not on here? No. No. Oh. What? Okay, that's fine. You're not surprised about that. <laughs> You're like that's fine, fine, whatever. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's just the one I want the most. It's fine. Anyway. Well, Brittany, hmm? I'll keep my fingers crossed for you if Earthbound ever does appear on Nintendo Switch. I thought but I'd for now. Saw- you're going okay. to have to wait. And we're going to take a short break since that is now the end of our first segment. When we come back, we are going to talk about what we've been playing, including hands-on with a brand new game that's set to launch in February of this year. What yes. is it? Join us to find out. We'll see you in a minute. Good, everybody. Welcome to segment two of the What's Good Games podcast. This is where we talk about what we've been playing. And this week, it's brought to you by Quip. Starting a healthy routine and sticking to it are two very different things. Inevitably, we all skimp on that full night of sleep, maybe a workout or two, or we brush our teeth with a tired old toothbrush. We're not perfect, but we can do better. And Quip is a better electric toothbrush that is here to help. Quip has sensitive sonic vibrations that help you achieve an effective clean that's gentle on sensitive gums. People brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive, but not Quip. It's got a built-in two-minute timer with pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you clean your whole mouth evenly. Up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes or don't clean evenly. Guilty as charged. Uh, That... 30-second pulse timer is great to remind me that I have to brush for more than 30 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) No no kisses for you. No, because sometimes you're in a rush and you're like, oh, you just give like a quick once-over. No, you got to do better. And Quip is here to help. It's one of the first electric toothbrushes that's been accepted by the American Dental Association, and they're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals, and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. And... We, of course, love Quip. Steimer just was using her pretty bronze Quip when you were traveling. It's got that nice case that sticks to mirrors. It's yep. fantastic. And you guys can get started with Quip for just 25 bucks if you go to getquip.com slash what's good right now. You'll get your first refill pack for free. That's getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash what's good if you want to get started and make your mouth cleaner in 2019. Ooh. Getquip.com slash What's good? I feel the urge to brush my teeth right now. <laughs> like my I teeth too. are dirty. I feel my yeah. <laughs> I have some garlic lingering in my mouth, and it's not good. Ooh, that sounds delicious, though. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's good like right after you eat, but then when it kind of festers in there like a little too long, you just kind of uh, want it out. I know what you mean? You get a little yeah. bit of a funk going on. Yeah, a little bit of a funk. There's some. I'm growing some weird shit. I don't know what's happening. That's weird. Well, okay, Quip your, will take care of it. Yeah, get your Quip out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about what we've been playing. Um, we haven't had too much time to be playing anything extensively, but I did get to go to a preview event for a little game called Metro Exodus. 
So I was incredibly excited when uh, Deep Silver and Foray invited me to come out and play because this is a game I've been looking forward to a while. I remember when it debuted on the Xbox stage at E3 and I was like, OMG, it looks so good. <laughs> and we got a chance to play, Steimer and I did, back at Judges Week before E3 last year. And the game looked really beautiful, but that demo had some problems. And it really bummed me out because I was really looking forward to playing this game. So I tried to manage my expectations going into this preview event, and I was pleasantly surprised by how much better it was. It reminded me so much of the Metro that I know and I love. If you guys have never played the Metro series, it is essentially a survival thriller first-person shooter I don't want to call it a horror game, even though there is a lot of stuff that's scary about it. It's much more thriller than outright horror. But essentially, you it's based off of the book series by uh, an author whose name I definitely can't pronounce, a, a Russian author. So when you call it survival, <laughs> real quick, does that mean like survival elements? Yes. So oh, okay. that means limited ammo, limited health packs. Um, you don't soak very much damage. You have to be very cautious about which encounters you run from, which encounters you go mm-hmm. head on, okay. where to stealth, where not to stealth. Um, and then there's the whole aspect of the fallout, right? So it's based off of a post-apocalyptic franchise where there has been nuclear fallout. You've been living underground in the metro system in Russia. And the real focus of metro exodus is that you are exiting the metro system to go above ground and see who's living there is it safe can you find a new community to build on the surface instead of down in the metro tunnels and they have expanded the game world it is much bigger it's at least twice the size of metro last light which was the previous metro game and there's different biomes this time around. So you're going to see different seasons and different um, different um, areas. Like the topography is different. The beasts and the mutants that you see are going to be different in different areas. And so the demo that I played was set in an area called the Caspian. And it's clearly based off the former Caspian Sea, but now it's like a desert wasteland. And I'm looking for the Caspian One Communication Center. You play once again as Artyom, who is a badass, who shoots lots of mutants. <laughs> um, and I was playing, I think, I just on the normal difficulty level. So I did ask them about the difficulty levels, but I didn't get uh, an answer back by the time we were recording the show. So if um, I get answers to all the questions that I sent out to them, I'll update you guys um, next week. But the big takeaways for me were... I really like that you can now craft on the fly. So we used that system a little bit when Steimer and I played in our demo, but I got to really utilize it much better here because I got to explore at my own pace. It didn't feel like we were being pushed down a specific story uh, path where I had to kind of stay on this linear road for the demo. They opened up the Caspian demo for me and they're like, there's some story missions on the map. You can do those or you can go explore. And I was like, why don't I take advantage of this bigger open world of Metro Exodus and go check it out? The guy at the demo did warn me. He was like, be careful. If you go exploring, you might find things that are going to kill you. I was like, like, okay. That's good advice, I feel like, for the real world, too. Just be careful. (laughs) Just be careful. There's things that want to kill you out there in the world, which is not 
not true, I guess. So I found these question marks on the map. And so I went over there and getting from point A to point B is in and of itself an adventure because you can either choose to go on the roads, then leave yourself exposed to bands of humans or bands of mutants that are potentially out roaming around. Or if you go off the roads, you can run into packs of like crazy creatures and things that want to eat you too. The benefits of exploring include being able to pick up more crafting items so that way you can upgrade your guns with a variety of scopes, grips, etc. And you can also find crafting items to build med kits, to build filters for your gas mask because the mask feature, which has been very prominent in the Metro series, is back. I figured out exactly how to read my watch this time around because I forgot all the different settings. So one of the things that really struck me when I first started playing this demo was there was no HUD at all. The heads-up display, all of the information you normally see on screen, gone. There was nothing. And I said to them, I go, is the HUD supposed to be gone? And they're like, there is no HUD. And I was like, what do you mean there's no HUD? I don't generally like to play that There way. is no phalange. Yeah. So they said to me, all of the information you need to know is on your wrist. So obviously, first person, you can see your hands holding the gun. And on your left wrist is a watch with a bunch of indicators. There's like a, a, a red to green indicator on radiation for when you need to put your mask on. There's the time of day indicator when your mask is on. There's a countdown for how much oxygen you have left. And then you can visually see in the clips on your gun, like how much how many bullets you have left is not an exact number unless you're actually counting, but I was blowing through bullets too fast to count. Um, (laughs) But I thought that was a really fascinating approach because it made me uncomfortable at first, but the more that I played, the more I got used to it as with any video game mechanic. Right. But I was really resistant to the idea at first, but it does really let you focus on the environments and looking at the animation and the skyboxes or in combat encounters, really focusing on the interaction with whoever you're fighting versus looking at all of the information that is generally displayed in a HUD. And so I thought that that was a really nice touch. And during my exploration, I came across this, what looked like an abandoned little fortress. And from a distance, I'm looking at it going, there's no way that fortress is empty. (laughs) Oh, hell no. There's definitely got to be something in there. And of course, the uh, giant nightmares, which are these like winged creatures that you just can't fight. Like you just have to run. Run. And if if you're driving in your car, they will come down with their giant wings and pick you up and drop you. That sounds awesome, actually. No, yeah, thank you. It's terrifying. I, I can't remember if Nightmare is their actual name. I'll have to look it up. Metro. Are they like big bats? Yes. That's awesome. Demon. I mean, terrifying, but awesome. I'm just literally Googling Metro Last Light Demon Nightmare. And they are demons. Um, but they're, they're terrifying. They're scary. And the sound design was so amazing. As I was walking you can like hear like the crunch of the sand underneath of your boots you could hear the like the whoop whoop of the wings like flapping these like giant wings like in the distance and like it's terrifying when you hear them because you're like oh my god i gotta run i gotta hide somewhere it's coming for me um and just like hearing the kind of like growling of the little mutant creatures that are 
running around the open wasteland and just the way that they throw sound when I was wearing the headphones was so immersive and so scary at the same time. Um, I, I really was impressed by everything that I saw in the demo. And I was rewarded once I killed a bunch of mutants and, and humans in the fortress with a permanent upgrade for my night vision goggles. And it's cool that they reward you for going in exploring these areas that the game doesn't tell you you have to go there. You just get to choose, like, hey, do I want to go explore over there or not? And so I asked the team, I was like, hey, so what are some of the other benefits to me going and exploring in some of these areas? They're like, well, one of the benefits is you can find other survivors and maybe that survivor will join you and help you out in the along your way in the story missions. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. They said there's also like a kind of light morality system built into the game. So if you spare humans in the game, maybe they'll help you or maybe they'll gang up on you later in the game. Oh, those assholes. Who could say? And I'm like, uh, I'm going to kill everybody. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't have time to deal with betrayal. I'd rather you were dead. Wow. <laughs> <love> okay. <laughs> she has a lot of friends, I'm, everyone, believe I'm it or not. Mostly mostly joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I was uh, impressed by that because that is such an expansion on what this franchise has offered in the past. And for people who are diehard fans, don't worry. There are dungeons aplenty. So the Metro series is really known for these corridors that you explore and you kind of clear room by room and you encounter creatures or humans. And I went on a a mission where I had to go down in this bunker to collect this map so that we could look for this outpost so we could get water because obviously if you're stuck in a desert, you need water. (laughs) And... Of course, in this bunker, there are lots and lots of cobwebs. And Mm. cobwebs mean lots of spiders. And Mm. these aren't just little spiders, which, by the way, when you hold your lighter up, which burns away the cobwebs, which is another, like, uh, metro staple, the spiders will, like, crawl on your hand. And it, like... It freaked me out so much. And I was just like, ew, get off me, get off me, get oh, off me. Oh. <laughs> because you just probably just feel them like crawling. Oh. Yeah. And those are the little ones. Trust me. Those spiders get real big. <laughs> Dude, you are totally selling me on this. I had, I just thought Metro was just your run of the mill shooter. But the things you're talking about, the corridors and the survival elements and the HUD, I'm like, ooh. ooh. Oh, Brit. Yeah. I, I Here's the big thing. I think people don't know about Metro, that they've heard about it or maybe they've seen some screenshots or a trailer and they're like, like you, like, oh, it's just another shooter. It's not. It's so much deeper than that. And that's why I really love this franchise. I think it has a very specific point of view and a very specific gameplay style. What I love about what they're doing for Exodus is that they're taking that and they're saying, hey, we want to make this a little bit more approachable to people who prefer a more action-based shooter experience, but we're not losing what makes the Metro franchise Metro. We're still putting in these really scary demons, these really scary beasts. We're putting in the survival elements, but we're also bringing in more human um, enemies and human factions to kind of create more of a, a an expanded narrative to keep people interested from a story perspective. So I'm I'm pumped for this game. It looks beautiful. Um, they have announced a bunch of special editions over the last uh, week or two. They announced the new Metro bundle. So if you guys have never played um, Metro uh, 2033 or Metro uh, Last Light, 
you can play them. Those are, of course, the remade from the Deluxe, or excuse me, Metro Redux, which came out, I believe, last year or the year before. And they're all bundled together uh, in the Xbox One bundle since they've partnered with Xbox for the marketing of this game. But highly recommend uh, the Metro franchise. And this certainly has me pumped to play Metro Exodus when it comes out in February. I believe February 22nd is the day. Uh, Metro, so somewhere around there. Games. I thought they moved off of that. Yeah, they did. They originally were the 22nd. Now they're up to the 15th. Metro, fi- oh, excuse me, February 15th. That's like a post Valentine's Day game. You can play with your significant other. You can gather. Hey, you can't honey, play together. I love you. Let's go to the wasteland. <laughs> go. So, Andrea, are there single missions, or do you have side missions, or how does that work? Both. Oh, okay. So, um, the way that my demo played is that you know there's like an icon on the map that's like this is where you need to get to, and then you'll play through uh, a, a mission. There's cutscenes. There's objectives. And you will see other things on the map too where like Anna, who is your kind of like BFF love interest in the game, will um, help you out on some missions. Like for example, she pointed out to me this like abandoned oil tanker, this giant ship. And she's like, hey, if you go over there, you know, you'll probably find some good gear, like hint, hint. Maybe Mm. you want to go explore that thing over there and check out what they've got. Maybe they've got a special gun or a special attachment for your gun or an upgrade for your your gas max or compass or what have you. And she'll help you out from afar because she's a sniper. And so there was this one mission where there was this like guy up in a tower and I just could not for the life of me get him. And thankfully, after I died twice, (laughs) she... She ended up having him kill me, Um, which, by the way, like dying in the game is pretty brutal because if you use med kits and you die and you load a checkpoint, you don't get your med kits back. Oh, no. So I think that's where the survival elements really kick in. Like you have to be very cautious about which combat encounters you want to approach and how and when and what you want to use. Do you have enough bullets crafted? Because you can only craft a certain amount of things on the fly with your backpack like for example i could only craft one type of ammo but i had three guns that i could choose from so if i ran out of ammo of my other two guns but my one gun wasn't good for sniping then i'm kind of shit out of luck i'm excited i had no idea cool yeah looks good though i'm pumped so um, enough about metro thank you for listening to me ramble on about it i'm very excited about it um during our After our stream this past weekend, thank you again so much to our patrons for joining us. Steimer tried her hand at Resident Evil 2. And she loved it. She loved every second of it. It's the best game in the world. Screamed a lot. And a lot of it was unnecessary. But it was mostly the atmosphere. And I. it's one of those things where like you know things are going to jump at you. And so the minor any minor noise or whatever you're just like ah, what is that thing and you weren't even wearing headphones i wasn't wearing headphones i don't know that i could play this game while wearing headphones although it might give me a help it might help me with figuring out which direction because I, I was having a little bit of trouble with that i'm like where are you like i hear i hear the thing but because we were just playing it from the tv and we were talking to each other i couldn't quite figure out where they were coming from um but yeah, it was uh, an experience. <laughs> I love you. I'm uh, 
not sure. I'm definitely probably only going to play this game for like two hours and then I'm going to be sweaty and leave. And <laughs> like I'm going to be done because I'm going to be like, my God, I can't I can't play this alone. If Brittany, if you flew down here and played with me, I would play more of it. I would love nothing more than to dedicate a weekend <laughs> to playing Resident Evil with you. Are you kidding? Okay. That sounds great. Come on down. It's like my best life. Ugh. Yeah, I okay. Come on down. Stay Can with we me. Slumber party. Yes. Yes. This is how I know you two are some of my dearest friends. They're like, we'll play Resident Evil just because Britt loves it so much. Because <laughs> like I'm gonna, I'm gonna hate my life while playing it, but yeah, I know how much joy it brings you. And so, therefore, I I will play. But if I'm playing it by myself, it's not. I'm not playing it for myself. I'm playing it for you. Um, the best. But yeah, I think what you'd mentioned before was a little perplexing to me, which is that uh, the zombies in those games take a lot of bullets. And um, I think I shot one zombie in the head a total of five times. So three for him to go down, and then he still got back up, and then I just shoot him twice more in the head. And then I think he was down forever. Yeah, but it um, was, I was like, my goodness, this is t- these take a lot of, of bullets. And I think, Brittany, you mentioned someone was saying, well, the idea with those is you're supposed to pop them in the head and then run past them. Yeah. So you, this is Leon's standard issue weapon that you were shooting. And of course, it's not the strongest weapon. I think this one's made more for shoot, run past them, because this is the beginning of the game when all shit's going down, and you're like, what's happening? And also, you can upgrade your guns and your shotguns and everything else throughout the game, okay. at which point I'm assuming you will, it'll be become more powerful, and there are other weapons you can acquire. So the um, person I was talking to in chat was saying how um, he found that if you shoot the critical part of the head, I don't know where this is, because I haven't watched this or verified this Between myself. Between the eyes? between the eyes you can take them down or one and two sh- one or two shots but just simply hitting them in the head isn't enough to constitute as a headshot which so i weird. still have i still have problems with that because it is a zombie and you do shoot them in the head and that's how they go down and that's how it's always been so to make that a little gamified kind of irks me a bit but uh it's yeah i don't know i guess we'll find out when we get more time with it how true yeah. that really is yeah so the demo um was 30 minutes uh, like they time you for 30 minutes and i think i almost got to where i was supposed to get but we couldn't figure out where this door was right. like i'd gotten a key a special key to a door but then we couldn't find the door <laughs> yeah so welcome to my life i have part of what i need and not the other things um but otherwise, I mean, I always liked playing with you guys. I, I enjoyed kind of making fun of Leon because I'm like, you're a stupid boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, why are you why are you doing all of this? Like you see, oh, God, like when he crawls on the ground, like in the blood, I'm like, no, you stupid. What? the No, never go face first. I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. But uh, other than that. That part was fun. If you fly down here, I'll absolutely play this. Over so did anything about the demo surprise you? Was it what you thought it would be? It seemed, yeah, kind of. I think the thing I was surprised most by was the amount of stuff in the environment that it looked like I could come back to and like unlock with puzzles or like finding things mm-hmm. in the environment. I think I always have thought of Resident Evil as this more of just a shooter, like not necessarily any puzzles really uh. happening. Um, so that was a part I was like, oh, 
Okay. I'm supposed to find things. I don't know where I'm supposed to find them or how I'm supposed to find them because I'm going to have so much anxiety just walking through any of these <laughs> levels that I can't imagine looking for shit. You were so mean to me. I remember when you made me go into that fucking bathroom and you're like, there's supplies in here. And so I'm opening up doors and then a zombie falls out on me. And I screamed real loud. <laughs> oh, that was such a good moment. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I mean, you Brittany? had to have seen that coming, right? Come of on. Course. Not there. No, because like I was like, oh, cool. These are lockers. Like this is where the supplies are. Like if I imagine things popping out at me, um, like if the zombies on the ground, I imagine them being able to get up. If I see you, I imagine you getting up. But I wasn't expecting one to be in the fucking locker. He probably got bit and tried to take refuge in the locker and it didn't work out for him very well. Or someone was like, yeah, you stay in here. On so that Brit- ha- uh-huh. Yeah. So Britt had played this demo before. Yeah. Um, and um. I'm sorry, you were going to say on that note. I was going to ask you about what you thought about the exclusive trailer. Oh, yeah. So going back real quick, because my thing's more relevant to what Simon was saying. Um, on that note, what's interesting, what they've done is that they've rearranged a lot of the scares in the game that you would be used to. So one of the first rooms you go in, in original RE2, the liquor, which you didn't see, Simon, but it's this mm-hmm. weird, like, muscular, fleshy, four-legged thing with huge claws and a brain and a huge, long tongue, thus the name, the liquor. Uh, it's uh, it skitters across the glass, and that's the first time you ever come across it. And then you find it in the following hallway. But no, 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 not in this RE2. So they've really reshuffled the scares around. So even I don't really know when they're coming. So I will be suffering with you, and it will be fun. Yes. They said that they changed all of the jump scares throughout the entire game when I talked to the team at Capcom, and that all of the puzzle are different as well so they utilize some of the same elements but all of the answers to the puzzles are different because they really wanted to maximize replayability for people who are big fans of the first game they're like well what's the point of us keeping the puzzles the same so yes i hope you know fans are super excited that they're gonna have to do all of the puzzles over again i'm so excited ah i don't know if i've ever been as hyped for a game release before and i don't know when i'll ever get as hyped for a game release before i'm like dreaming about it You'll get hyped for when Pokemon comes out, Pokemon RPG. You'll be ready for it. Oh, that's true. And that's <laughs> Dragon Age. That, yeah, that'll do it. Oh. Um, yeah, so the, your the enthusiasm po- makes me excited, Britt. Oh, my God. I fucking can't. So the, the new trailer we saw, um, I just saw it that one time with you ladies, so I don't remember it too much. I do remember we saw some of William Birkin, more Annette Birkin, who obviously are... Uh, see, this is the thing. I feel like I can't really talk about what they are and what they do because it's... Sure. You know, yes. I could okay. talk about the well, other thing at the very end of the trailer tofu. that was wackadoodle. <laughs> Super yeah, so, wackadoodle. So Tofu was an unlockable character that you could get. I'd have to confirm it, but it, it's if you play Leon A, Leon or Leon A, Claire B. Let me look it up. But you had to finish the scenarios with a with an S rank rating, I think it was, and then you got to play as Tofu, which is literally. Tofu. tofu yes Which, yeah when you were like oh my god is it gonna be tofu i thought that was the name of a character and then it showed up on screen i'm like it's literally a chunk of tofu with like a, a white block <laughs> with a little hat on it okay so in the original are you had to beat the game six times you can have separate save files but they have to be consecutive runs using the same save file to start the next game claire a leon b claire a leon b and you need an a rank so yeah. that's how you would unlock it. So some new screenshots of tofu release, and it's literally this fucking block of text- nice texturized tofu mm, with like yes. a knife just floating in front of it with a little hat, a little beret on his head. And it's the fucking cutest thing ever. 
I think I want to play the game as that. So like, Brittany, (laughs) the comic relief. You you go through, you unlock it, then you come down here, you let me play on your save file, and I'll play the game as tofu. (laughs) Then I won't be as scared because it'll be. Will we eat tofu while we play as tofu? Sure. That sounds delicious. There we go. Get a little crispy tofu in there. Yeah, let's go. Oh my gosh. Well, we don't need to hear any more of Brit's thoughts on it. We know that she's pumped and ready. And um, stop me now. And I'm excited to hear that Steimer is uh, is on board to try it. Um, I also have been infected by Brittany's enthusiasm. And maybe you guys have out there, too. <laughs> um, so we don't have very much time left because um, we are under some constraints for the record for this week. But, Brittany, yeah. did you have stuff that you'd like to talk about? Or do you want to hold it for next week's episode? Um, I can hold it for next week's episode. It's totally your call. You take a look at the clock and you let me know. Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I'm going to give you a big fat thumbs up. So I'm still playing more Y2K, a postmodern RPG. I talked about this a lot last week. It's developed by Axe Studios. It's been a thing since 2015. It's finally coming out this month. I think tomorrow, actually. Or maybe it's already out. I don't know. It's not already out. Anyway, so last time we talked about kind of what it was, but I didn't get to go into... um, more of like the puzzle elements of it and some of the other dungeons and some of the fighting techniques. So obviously it's an RPG. It's a turn-based RPG. You are following a cuckoo banana story. You're running around different towns. You're talking to people. You are doing some side quests. In that sense, it's kind of what you would expect from an RPG. But where this is different is the combat in particular you know you have like a keytar you have a cd that you throw at people you have a camcorder i talked about that a little bit last week but what i didn't mention was one of the issues i'm having is that it's 16 seconds load time for each random battle you encounter oh no and i shouldn't say random that's not fair because you see the enemies on screen but it is i timed it it's 16.23 seconds because i'm timing it it means it was so long that you felt compelled to time how long it was by the way the release date is january 17th for switch playstation 4 and steam sweet so i am playing k a postmodern rpg I am playing on Switch. I am playing docked. So maybe those times will be a little different on the other consoles. But yeah, so what I noticed is I would run into a character and or an enemy and then it would take 16 seconds to load. And that's just a little... That's not good. That's not good at all. Especially when you're playing a turn-based RPG where you want to grind and level. You, that's a huge deterrent. Um, also, the, the fights seem a little unbalanced right now. For example... I don't, so I have a, my CD is He Wants It That Way by the Back Alley Boys. And that's what I throw at my enemies. (laughs) And that's what I throw at my enemies. And it's only a level one CD. The strength is level is one point. And I can upgrade that to a two strength CD by, it's a play off of the Rolling Stones, but I don't remember what it is, but it takes over half of my money. And I can't see that making such a huge significance that it would be worth half of my money so i haven't upgraded it so i'm i'm coming across these battles where i'm throwing the cd at these enemies and the fights are taking about 15 minutes for 20 experience points now in this game 20 experience points isn't a lot you need 100 to start beefing up your um statistics so that just seems really unbalanced you know uh it shouldn't take 15 minutes when you're just doing like a few hits here or there, especially since every attack is a mini puzzle. And if you don't nail the timing just right, you will screw up your attack entirely and you won't cause any damage. So that's a little, 
a little off-putting, so I hope that gets fixed or they beef up the he wants it that way because I feel like that should be one of the strongest weapons in the game, personally. Just my little thought. So there's that. And also, when you're doing the dungeons, I've only done one. It's a lot of puzzles. Uh, so you have a panda. A ran- Again, this is one of the weirdest games I've ever played. You have a stuffed panda that is your teddy bear. But when you go into dungeons, it becomes like a full-size thing that you can just pull out on a whim. And it's used to weight switches. That's something you have to use. And then you have a cat named da- Dally. So would you call the panda like a companion cube? Yeah. Yeah, I would. It works as a companion cube. That's a good it's way to find it. Companion cube. Sam or no? <laughs> oh, it's really bad. That was good. I liked I'll it. I'll go home now. Wait, I am home. <laughs> Ting. Um, and then you have a cat named Dally that you can launch at switches to activate said switches. So there is some puzzling in the dungeons. There are some corridors that you run down. So I'm still having fun with it, but my biggest complaint right now is just the combat. It's fun, but it's too slow paced. And it's not enough bang for your buck. It's not, you know, you don't want to spend 15 minutes for 20 experience points. That's really stupid. But um, I'm still going to continue to play it. If the fights continue this way, I might burn out of it real quick. um, Because that just ain't nobody got time for that. But I will keep you posted in the weeks to come. Cool. Well, thanks for the update. Yeah. Um, well, that is probably going to bring us to the end of the show for this week. Uh, we are skipping the third segment because we had such a long show last week. We hope that you guys enjoyed <laughs> the Red Dead Redemption 2 spoiler cast, a whopping one hour and 40 minutes just for the spoiler cast, uh, which is crazy. But uh, we had a lot of fun talking about it. And we will be back next week. Like I mentioned, Britt and I are have gone to the Mortal Kombat 11 preview event. Uh, We're going to be talking about what happened there. There is um, another game that I played. I got to play Far Cry New Dawn. And I can't say anything about what I played yet, only that I did play it. And so expect some thoughts from me about that next week. And um, there's a couple other games. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, there's just a lot happening. February has become a hot ticket month for video game releases. And uh, not to mention, we still got Kingdom Hearts 3 coming at the end. Oh, no. Oh, goodness. Yes, we do. <laughs> but we hope that you guys enjoyed the show. Again, if you want to support what we do here at What's Good Games, head on over to patreon.com slash what's good games. Check out any of our awesome sponsors this week. Again, thank you to Quip, Stitch Fix, and Robin Hood for sponsoring the show. And uh, hit us up on social media, what's good underscore games on Twitter. Check out our Facebook fan page or discord.gg slash what's good games until next time we'll see you next weekend everybody bye